Well, I welcome you today to worship uh, each of our congregations. We're so glad that you've made the time uh, to be here today and worship our Lord together. I want you to imagine with me a scenario as we get started. Imagine it's my wife's birthday, and I'm driving home from work, and it suddenly dawns on me, to my horror, I've forgotten all about it. Oh my goodness, I have no gift, I have no card, nothing. And I feel horrible as I turn into our driveway. My mind is racing. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? This is inexcusable. But as I uh, humbly walk into the house and, 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 and take my winter gloves to put them in my coat pocket, lo and behold, and perhaps this is the providence of God, I feel in there uh, a gift card. And I remember, oh my goodness, th- this was given to us at Christmas time, and it's a $100 Macy's gift card. Now, I just want to remind you, this whole thing is hypothetical, okay? <laughs> my wife's birthday is not until March, and we did not get the Macy's $100 gift card. This is purely fictitious, okay? But go with me. And so I think, this has got to be a God thing. This is amazing. And so uh, I quickly find an envelope, a card. I, I, I put it in there. I write a little hallmark you know, thought in there to Deb from my heart. And I humbly hand her the card. She opens it up and squeals with delight and says, Oh, my goodness, you shouldn't have done this. This is more than we spend at birthdays. I mean... And I say, yeah, honey, you're worth it. You know, in these economic times when both of our kids are going to college, I know we've committed to cut back, but you know what? You are so worth it. I just wanted to make sure that even in times like this, you could, you could be able to shop at, at a store you enjoy. And she gives me a big hug and a kiss. And she says, you are the greatest husband in the world. Now, what am I going to say? Am I going to get all pious and go, well, you know, hon, God is good. You know what they say, God's best for God's blessed. Or am I going to get all romantic and say, yeah, baby, you know, I'd do anything for you. In fact, if I were rewriting the alphabet, I'd put you and I together forever. Or what if I say, you know what, it really was a sacrifice to do this. Just like you suspicion, I must have given up something. Believe me, it was. I had to really sacrifice in order to do this. But you know, you are so worth it. Now, what would you think of me if I said something like that? Every woman listening to me right now and almost all of the men would think you are a jerk. I pity the woman who has to eat dinner beside you at the dinner table. That is so phony. You are an absolute jerk. Now, why such anger? Why such a response? Because people don't like it. If someone appears to be sacrificial when they're really not. Now, as we continue this series called It's a Matter of Trust... Today we're going to look at an Old Testament story where a somewhat similar scenario unfolded, at least 
the kind of heart of it is the same. And let me begin to unpack the story for you. We're going to look at some scripture which describes what happened, and then we're going to spend a few minutes applying it. This is one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. It's very short, but wow, does it pack a powerful principle. The main character, the protagonist in the story, is King David. Now, he's been leading for quite a while. He is not a novice leader. He's by now a seasoned leader. But at this particular moment, things aren't going well. God is quite angry with David because apparently David has forgotten his own words. He's forgotten to practice what he preached in Psalm 20, verse 7, where David himself inspired by the Spirit, wrote, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And David had come to a point where he was beginning to rely more on his military might and the size of his army than he was a true trust and reliance on the Lord. And so he overruled his generals and military leaders. They were against the idea He overruled them, and he had them do a census. He had them count all of the fighting men throughout the kingdom. Now, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? What's so bad about that? That might just be good stewardship. Well, the problem was David had a divided heart. He was kind of half committed to God and half committed to his own cleverness. And what you find is that spiritually, this apparently simple act represented a lack of trust in God. And so, God went to some pretty extreme measures to show David his displeasure. He sends a plague on the land. The story's very interesting. God actually gave David a choice and and what he he would take in terms of the result or the consequence of David's action. And a plague comes on the land and people are dying all around. Well, let's pick the story up in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And by the way, if you're curious about studying this, you can read the Chronicles version of it in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 when you go home. It's a very interesting comparison between the two stories. But this story shows us just how much God hates pride and how much he wants us to learn to trust in his provision. Look at what he says. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, and there, there was a, a death angel, if you will, that was going through the land, people were literally dying, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. On that day, Gad, now by the way, Gad, interesting name, huh? Gad was a prophet in the land. He was mightily used by God, a very accurate prophet. He was mightily used to speak into people's lives. And here he's about to speak into David's life. He went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Now imagine the scene. Here's this man, Arana, at home, and he looks over the horizon and sees a large entourage headed his way. As they get much closer, he recognizes, oh my goodness, this is the very king of Israel. This is King David. 
the man after God's own heart, coming my way. He, Arana doesn't know whether to be terrified or thrilled. Let's read on in the story. Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. What a magnanimous spirit. Notice he goes on to say, O king, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. What a big-hearted guy. What a generous man. He's saying to King David, look, you don't have to pay for this. I'll even throw in some wood and some oxen to boot just out of the goodness of my heart. And so David here is wanting to atone for his own sin, to stop this plague. He's been actually told by God through the prophet Gad to go and do this. And Arana says, look, you can have it all, no charge. And David politely says, no way. I want you to go on and read the last part of the story. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. And here's the key phrase that I hope God will etch into our minds today. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there, sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Wow. What an interesting story. There is no true worship of God that does not involve sacrifice. There is no true worship of God that does not involve sacrifice. Last week, we learned that God owns and we manage. Today, I want us to learn a little different lesson from this story. God provides, God provides, but it's our responsibility to sacrifice, and God's provision may come in a variety of ways. Often when we think about God providing, we may think of some miraculous gift from heaven, but in reality, God may provide by making our appliances go longer than they normally should or would. Or God may provide by a wealthy relative of ours, perhaps we're not even acquainted with, dies and leaves us an inheritance. Or God may provide by opening up a job and we receive a call. We weren't even aware of this possibility and yet it's been opened up to us. Or there may be an unexpected escrow refund from a a mortgage company. God will do his part. The question is, will we be faithful to sacrifice and, and do our part? So here's the powerful but simple lesson that I want us to learn today. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. So, 
So, in light of God's provision, we should respond with sacrificial generosity. But you may be sitting there and asking, but pastor, I get it. That's a pretty simple lesson. But what does sacrifice look like? What is generosity? I think we'll all agree there's a difference between giving and really being generous, between giving and real sacrifice. Let me illustrate. Mrs. Hollis Sharp of Southern California was accustomed to taking her little poodle walking every evening. It was just a common thing she did. Chatted with people, said hello to neighbors, and gave the dog a chance to exercise and do his business on somebody's lawn. But Mrs. Hollis Sharp was a responsible citizen. And she always, you should always do this, folks, take along those pooper scooper bags with you. Say, I can't believe we're talking about this in church. Yes, we are. And so she took them along, and she always cleaned up after her dog. She cleaned up the mess. And so uh, she was almost finished with the walk, was coming back home, and a mugger, true story, a mugger jumped out from behind a hedge and attacked her. Here she is standing with this big bag of dog mess and everything. The mugger attacks her, forces her to the ground, and grabs the bag and runs off. Well, the police arrive, do a report, check it all out, find out what happened. And uh, she, uh, fortunately, only had a few bruises. She did have a broken arm, unfortunately. But she kept a good attitude, and she said to the officers with a twinkle in her eye, the only thing I regret, officers, is that I didn't have more for him in the bag. Okay? Now, that's giving, But that's not sacrifice, right? There's a difference between generosity and sacrifice. So how do I know that what I give God is actually a sacrifice? Now, some of you aren't going to like my answer, but I believe that only you and God can figure that out. Others may be able to give some good input, some wise counsel, some guidance based on Biblical principles and the experience of others, but only you and God can figure that out. The tithe, 10% of what you make, is the standard suggested in the Old Testament. And people will often ask me, Pastor Rex, is that on the gross amount or is that after taxes? And, and my answer to that is usually the same. Do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, I don't want to answer that for you, and here's why. I honestly believe that's between uh, you and God. You need to work that out. I don't want to be legalistic about that, nor should you. But I do know this. There is one time, and this intrigues me, there's one time in the Bible when God says, I want you to test me. If you've read the Scripture at all, you know that usually the Bible teaches, do not put God to foolish test. But there's one time when God says, bring it on. Test me in this and see if I won't make good for you. And that, of course, is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out so much blessing you'll not have room enough for it. I recently sat down with a friend and uh, leader in our church. His name is Chris Mullally, and I asked Chris a few questions. The reason I asked Chris to talk, and I'm going to ask you to watch his testimony now, is that he and his wife, Jen, are definitely among the most generous people I've ever known in my life. I mean, they're amazing. They they have the heart of givers, and they give not only generously, they give sacrificially. So would you listen uh, now to this brief interview that I had with Chris Mullally? Let's listen to it together. Well, Chris, I've been looking forward to this now for quite some time. You and your dear wife, Jen, are among the most gracious and giving people that I have ever known. And uh, to me, you're very much like a model in that area. Can you share with us, since we're talking about uh, giving today, we're talking about sacrifice, can you share with us a little bit about your own journey? How did you get started becoming so generous and getting into tithing and giving? Um, first of all, thanks for having me here. I'm really happy to be here. Um, it's a pleasure to speak with everyone today. Um, basically, uh, in my heart, I've always kind of felt as a giver. Um, from when I was young till now, uh, just when I was not even walking you know, with the Lord uh, for a lot of my life, I, I still had a heart to do things for others and a heart to help others. But since, you know, we've come to start walking with the Lord for many years now and, and studying his word and understanding really what God wants from us uh, as, yeah. as his uh, people is, you know, to serve others, to help others, to give for others, and of course, to follow his commands. You guys have practiced this uh, generosity uh, for a long time. You've been faithful in your giving. And I know personally that you've touched a lot of lives just through your service to people and how you've impacted them. But what, what are some of the blessings and benefits that you feel you've received because of obeying God in this area? One of the greatest benefits for us is the joy that we receive um, as a family uh, when we can go and do stuff for people um, that they could never do on their own or um, just help them to get through a situation. Um, we can't always do everything for everybody, mm -hmm. but yeah. there are certain things that each one of us can do. We just need to look and see what God is pointing towards. Does anybody ever come to you and, and say, maybe they find out that you're a very giving person and all that, because, you know, that reputation, there's so few people like that. Has anyone ever come to you and said, Listen, Mr. Malali, I'm not sure I agree with this philosophy about giving. I, I'm not sure I agree with this whole thing of tithing and of, of being a generous person. I, I've just got problems with that. I don't think that's for me as a Christian. How would you respond to that person? I've had many friends, you know, say over the years that, you know, all the church ever wants is money, <laughs> right? And uh, you hear that a lot. And yeah. uh, you know, people, actually, I, I know people who don't come to church just for that reason, and it's really sad. I just wish that they would understand that, you know, giving um, 10% of your money to the church or to God um, is such a blessing to you.
when you're following the Lord. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you do what he asks, God is going to bless you. And I really wish people would understand that, you know, it's not just that you're giving away your money. You're, you're giving your money, you're helping people through the church, whatever the church is going to do to help people. Um, and there's great benefit to that. You've talked about the joy and the blessing that you have here, but that ripple effect, that impact goes all the way into eternity where Jesus has promised that even if we give a cup of cold water in his name, we will by no means, you know, lose our reward. You know, to that point, Rex, it's it's so true. Um, You know, you have no idea what God's going to do with what you've done. And I just personally look for the day. I can't wait for the day when I'm in heaven with God, with Jesus, and they can then show me this is what your life has done. Because I know um, what I, knowing God for, for, you know, such a, a long time now, I know that what I think God is doing is not even close to what God is doing. Now, Chris, today we're talking about sacrifice, this whole uh, issue of giving up something you love and cherish for something that you actually love and cherish more. Now, I I happen to know personally that a number of years ago, uh, God moved in your heart to do something very sacrificial. And I believe you started a project called The Extraordinary Project, if I'm not mistaken, And the whole purpose of that was to feed starving children in Somalia. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how God moved in your life to get that started? Oh, absolutely. Um, Quickly, uh, I had seen a news story on CNN about uh, 600,000 children could die from starvation in Somalia because of the famine that was going on there at the time. And... um, Two days later, I went to the Global Leadership Summit, the one and only time I was ever able to go. But the one and only time I could go to the Global Leadership Summit just two days later, um, basically the messages from the speakers were just one after the other speaking to, you know, do what God is showing you to do. And I had felt like God was asking me to try to do something to help these children. You know, I woke up the next morning and I uh, checked my email and we get verse of the day by email and God's verse of the day was Ephesians 2.10 which basically says that you know we are you know God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which have already been chosen for us before Wow! And, Mm. and I know that that was the verse of the day for millions of people but there was no doubt in my mind that that day that verse was for Chris Mullally and God was just saying, sealing the deal. <laughs> That's incredible. It's incredible. So you took the plunge. You took the leap, as it were. You stepped out, and you made a sacrifice to start that. And I know it has fed thousands of starving children in that country that has been so torn by war and political strife. I, I just want to say thank you for obeying God in that way. One of the most amazing, you know, times of my my life. Yes, it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of sacrifice. It really did. It it actually became almost having two full-time jobs. Wow. You know, at one point. Um, And, but to see, like you said, 
you know, thousands of children um, being helped by people just giving, yeah. you know, in some cases a dollar as we had asked for. Yeah. was just an amazing journey. And, and then all the things God did. I mean, God really grew me a lot and, yeah. and really pruned me a lot as well during that time to get me to a point where I have a much greater understanding of who God is today. Yeah. Well, Chris, as we wrap up today, I just want to say something to you sincerely. When we get to heaven, brother, can I tell you, I want to be standing near you because I know there's going to be a lot of people walking up to you and Jen, walking up to your family going, thank you, brother, for giving to the Lord because I am a life that was changed. And you know what? I hope that can be said of all of us, that when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of people walking up saying, thank you so much because of how you gave, because of how you lived, because of how you served. I am here today, Jesus Christ has saved me because of you. Amen. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. All right. Thank you so much for listening to that. Now, you know what my guess is? Is some of you who may be brand new believers, you're just beginning in Christ, or others of you who maybe did not grow up in a home where giving and certainly not sacrificial giving was practiced, I'll bet this whole idea of giving back feels like a stretch to you. Boy, it is just not the way most people think because we are selfish by nature. And unless we allow God's grace to change us, trust me, we become selfish to the core and we get caught up in the rat race of trying to keep up with the Joneses and so on and so forth. And we really miss generosity but I would urge you that whatever your background or experience to decide today that you're not gonna offer to the Lord that which costs you nothing. And really get this principle today that, that true worship of God always involves sacrifice. But I wanna speak to another group of you, not just the beginners or those who struggle. I wanna speak to those of you who have already been practicing giving back. You, you bless people all the time. You, you have regularly been faithful in giving to the Lord. Can I say something to you? If you're like Debbie and I are, we've, we've done that all of our married life. I practiced that before I was married. I've done that since I was a teenager. Can, can I tell you, it's, it's not a sacrifice anymore. You just get so used to it. It's just natural. You just think that way. Your mind thinks that way. It, <clears throat> it's really more like a habit to us. You know what I think? I think we need to challenge ourselves. And if you give, but you know, it's just a habit and there's no real sacrifice involved, I would challenge you today to think of a hurting family, someone that you could come alongside of and really help, help and begin to invest by serving them, by giving of time, by giving of your energy or input or perhaps helping financially. I would urge you to find an international student who feels very lonely and alone and who is struggling with a different culture and come alongside and invite them over for a meal and help meet some of their financial needs, perhaps. I would challenge you to find a person or a ministry that you could really make a difference in their life and 
launch out into this exciting adventure called sacrifice. Because the lesson, the lesson today is that it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't really cost me something. The Christian life has to go beyond what we do at 5 p.m. on Saturday or 9 and 11 on Sunday. It has to go way beyond that. Or I'm concerned that for many of us, it's just not true worship. God is looking to provide for all of our needs. He provides, but he's asking us to be involved in sacrifice. Jesus taught a powerful lesson to his disciples one day. They were standing in the temple. It's interesting that in that day, in the temple, there was these fluted receptacles. Fluted, they had this sort of shape of a trumpet, really. And they were metal. And so as people brought the coins to give in the temple offering, as they gave to God there, it became quite a show because as you put the metal on metal, it made a big sound. And so as it slid down, have you ever seen these gumball machines in restaurants or in some stores near the door usually? And it's got this elaborate pipe system and a kid comes up and puts a quarter or 50 cents in and then you watch it as this big old gumball rolls around and goes all around this pipe and finally comes out. Well, it was kind of like that. It's so interesting. People would stand around and gape. And so as they were watching this, they saw wealthy people coming. And man, as their money slid down that pipe, it was loud. It was quite a spectacle. And people would ooh and ah and turn and whisper to their neighbor and go, wow, that guy's given a lot of money. And suddenly, as Jesus and the disciples were watching, a little woman very unassuming, she was obviously extremely poor, walked up, and there wasn't a big, long, loud sound as the money slid down. All you heard was plank, plank. Two little copper coins. The smallest currency in the monetary system of that day. And she put those in and unobtrusively walked away. Jesus said, guys, huddle up. He used this powerful moment as a teaching moment. He said, you know what? Who do you think gave the most of all the people that we've seen give today? It was that little woman walking away right there because all these other folks we've seen were giving out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, gave all she had. She had the attitude, just like David, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God that which cost me nothing. Jesus said she was the most generous of all. So what is sacrifice? This is my favorite definition. It's the one I use all the time. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more. Something you cherish, something you really value. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And that's why, in my opinion, what we do with our resources often shows what we really love more than just about anything else. And here's what Debbie and I have learned through the years. This is just our conclusion 
after just honoring God year after year, just faithfully giving, we've learned, oh, it's a cliche to some of you, but to us, it's very real. You simply cannot outgive God. Trust me on this. You simply cannot outgive God. I believe that when you reach into your abundance and you put it into God's storehouse, I believe he reaches into his storehouse and he gives you the best of what he has. That has been our experience. Debbie and I just have a commitment. Here's our commitment. Can I just tell you, can I get personal for a minute? Our commitment is to live ever simpler lives. That's what we want to do. We have no grand vision to buy some big old house or live some big elaborate life. We have a desire to live ever simpler lives. Here's what that means for us. That we just start by tithing 10% off the top. It's just what we've always done. We're going to keep doing that. We try to save 10% because we believe in the 10-10-80 principle. Since a old gentleman in the church where I found Christ told me that. I've just tried to practice that ever since. And boy, God has blown my mind with how he's blessed my life. We're going to give 10 right up front. We're we're, going to save 10. And then we're going to take that 80% and we're going to live well beneath our means. In fact, we're going to live with a kind of financial margin. This is our goal so that we can just be really generous and go way beyond the 10%. And help people when they're hurting and give to all kinds of needs and legitimate opportunities in the kingdom. And you know what we're also going to do? We're going to take some of that 80% and we're going to celebrate big when the occasion is right. You know what that means? This year is our 25th wedding anniversary. We're going to party. Are you hearing me? We're going to have a blast. We're going to have a good time. 25 years is something worth celebrating. That is just exciting. And so we're going to take some of that and we're going to celebrate with that. No apologies. But that's our desire. We don't want to live on the edge financially, emotionally, or with our time. We want to have margin in our lives so that when the Holy Spirit prompts, we can be ready to respond. And I know many of you desire to live that same way. I'll never forget a conversation I had recently. I wish I knew the man's name. I would have asked his permission to share this. I don't have a clue who he was. But a guy walked up to me out in the lobby some time ago, and uh, the conversation turned to giving. And he said, you know, I know you've talked in the past about this whole tithing and giving thing. He said, but can I ask you a question, Pastor X? How do you stay consistent with that? Now, I sensed he was a relatively new believer. He'd been coming to Grace, he said, for about three years. And he said, here's the problem that I have. I I start it, I get all inspired when I hear you talking about it, but then I just don't keep it going. He he said, how do you and Debbie, how do you stay consistent with that? I said, well, well, please know, we're we're no heroes. We're not the only people who are consistent. There's tons of people at Grace who are. We're We're just trying to do what we believe God is showing us. In his word, but, but if you want to know my answer to that, I, I think I've actually got an advantage because of my job. He looked kind of puzzled, his face kind of scrunched up, and I said, well, let me explain what I mean by an advantage. You see, 
I've got an advantage in giving because I regularly get to go to the bedside of people who don't have long to live. And I hear all kinds of confessions. It's unbelievable. All kinds of regrets expressed. All kinds of very vulnerable and intimate things are, are said to me. I, it astounds me, really, and what a privilege to be able to just, just hear some of those things. And, and, I, and I get to officiate a lot of funerals. And, and so I, I see where, where this all goes. And, and, and it, you know, your body goes in a box and, and your spirit goes on somewhere else. <laughs> and I said, I think that, that's a regular reminder to me that this life is not all there is. And what matters most is not what we saved or, or even what we wasted or floundered. It, 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 it's, it's squandered. It's, it's what we gave away. That's what matters. It's the sacrifice that was made. And then I said to him, sir, I, I just want to tell you, I've had so many conversations with people who knew their lives were almost over, and I've heard all kinds of regrets, but I've never had anybody say to me on their deathbed, Pastor, I'll tell you what really grinds my gears, buddy. Do you know what really gets me that I gave so much away? I I just can't stand it. It burns me up to think about that. I've never had anybody say to me in their final days, I'll tell you what I regret. I regret that I sacrificed so much. I spent so much time serving other people, helping them, so much time with my family, so much money I gave away. I can't stand the fact that I've never had anybody say that. So quite frankly, I think I don't have some big reward in heaven because I get regular reminders that this life is not all there is. Friends, trust me on this. When you come to the end of this life, those things you will never regret are the sacrifices that you made, that which really cost you something. Charlemagne was a great leader. He was called the king of the Franks. He was a man who seemed to have everything. A gifted intellect, an incredible leader. Charlemagne went to Rome on Christmas Day in A.D. 800 and dressed in purple regalia, he received the name Charles the Great. While kneeling before the altar, the Pope took the imperial crown and placed it on Charlemagne's head, and he was hailed as the 68th emperor of Rome, an empire that had been in ashes for over 300 years. Charlemagne was so great, so rich, so brave, so powerful, his influence was felt globally. But one peculiarity about this great leader, he didn't want to take medicine. And so when at the age of 72 he fell ill, he refused to take the medication that was offered. And a week later, after refusing to eat, refusing medical treatment, he died at the end of that week. The year was A.D. 814. Well, Charlemagne had written very specific instructions for his burial. He was to be buried sitting upright on a throne, he specified. He was to be in his purple regalia, crown on his head, scepter in his hand, sword at his side, buried upright, sitting on the throne in the vault at Aix-la-Chapelle, and peculiarly, 
He had included this detail, a Bible is to be open on my lap and my finger pointing to a verse. But only those who actually positioned him there knew what that verse was. And then here's the most mysterious detail of all. His vault was to be sealed and never, ever opened. And that's how Charlemagne was buried. Well, with all that intrigue, somebody's going to open that vault, right? And almost 200 years later, a German emperor who just couldn't stand it and who wanted to get his scepter and crown had this vault open. He violated the request, and Charlemagne's dead body was found just as they had read it was. Open on his lap was the Bible Charlemagne had requested with one bony finger pointing to a verse. The verse he now knew was Matthew 16, verse 26. And here's what it said. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Perhaps that's why Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up treasures in heaven. Moth and rust don't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus taught, you can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. It's what you sacrifice, it's what you give that you will not regret. And when you die, the only thing that will matter is what you've sacrificed. But you know what, folks? God doesn't mostly concern himself with your giving of time and resources. Are you listening? God is mostly concerned about this. Have you given him your life? Because those other things just flow out of that first thing. That's the foremost issue. Have you given him your life? And when you do that, all the other things will fall into place. By the way, that's why I need to close with telling you quickly, the very quickly, the rest of the story. Remember the story today? Arana, the threshing floor, David buys it, sacrifices to the Lord. It was on that very place, a place known as Mount Moriah, that David's son Solomon later built a temple where sacrifices were made and the people were regularly reminded as they went there to atone for their sins without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. By the way, that's the same place some of you Bible readers may know that years earlier, a man named Abraham had been instructed by God to go up on the mountain to sacrifice his son. But God was just testing Abraham That mountain he was to go up was Mount Moriah, the same place, the same place that David had bought that threshing floor. And God stopped Abraham because he was just testing him and no harm came to his one and only son. That is the one and same place. And not to confuse you with too much information, but one other thing you need to know. 
to make the story full circle. This place of sacrifice, Mount Moriah, is directly across from another mountain called Mount Calvary. It's the site where the Son of God sacrificed his very life because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And if you've never sacrificed and said, Lord, I turn my life over to you, may today be the day. And if you've never said, Lord, I want to walk with you closer than ever before, today may be the day. Because there's no true worship of God without sacrifice. Father, thank you for your love. And thank you that you are the provider. You provide what we need, and yet you call us to get in on the blessing of it by sacrificing. Help us to be faithful. And help us to remember that it really is ultimately no profit at all if we gain the whole world and lose our soul. May we leave this place in a few minutes from now with that ringing in our ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Ushers, let's continue to worship. Congregation, ushers, would you come please and just serve us tonight?